as we come into this uh, third week of the Love Your Neighbor series, uh, I wanted to open up by telling you a little bit about what's going on in our lives, and uh, maybe it connects to some of what has been happening in your lives over the past couple of years, and I'm sure it has. Because for the past couple of years, our girls at different times over the course of the year have been at home for virtual school. And uh, whether that was, you know, choosing to, or whether the schools had closed down for certain periods of time, or whether that was for e-learning days, you know, we've all kind of experienced this. If we have kids uh, in those in those grade school ages, they've been at home at different times, going through these virtual school moments. Now, our youngest is back in brick and mortar school, and she's loving it, and she's having a great time. And our oldest Emily decided to stay home for this semester to continue online and to enter that time of transition going into seventh grade and back to brick and mortar just to save all of that for for one time as she kind of gets ready for that through the course of the summer. So as the other one is headed off to brick and mortar, I've had time uh, to sit with Emily, to help her with her school, uh, to kind of go through some of the things that she's been learning. And I've sat with her uh, for the past couple years, really, but, but even this semester then with her during her lessons. And I think at times, and and I think many of us feel this way, I have probably learned and relearned just as much as she has learned. And it's been so weird in some ways because, I mean, you can probably assume that um, I I like history. I mean, I really like language. And so, you know, we, we had a great time there. And I thought as I went, you know, through some of the stuff with her, I thought, okay, yeah, those are the areas that I can probably help her the most and coach her. And I had a lot of trepidation about math. And then I found, hey, I kind of like this. This is kind of fun. And I, I started to think, like, this, am I weird or something? What's going on here? Like, I started to really look forward to sitting with her during her math lessons. During her, her, she's in pre-algebra, and she's having a blast with it. But it's like, I'm sitting there going, am I really enjoying this? Is is this strange? But it's it's been really cool just to kind of sit with her, to see what she's learning, to talk through stuff. And uh, it's kind of given me this glimpse of, you know, when she goes back to brick and mortar, you know, I think at times there, there were some of those times, you know, that you think about doing homework with kids and you're kind of like, oh, you know, I'd rather you know, not sit at the table going through that. Now I'm sitting here going, I'm kind of looking forward to those times. It's kind of cool to talk through her through some of this stuff. Now, one of the things that she's been doing this semester, uh, going back to her language arts, is she's doing a book study on a wrinkle in time. And as she does this, she's supposed to analyze the book as she reads it. And so she's got to look at things, you know, like plot. She's got to look at conflict. She's got to look at themes of the novel. And so we're talking through, you know, those different things. What's the plot here? What What do you see in the characters? What do you see as the conflicts that they're dealing with? What What are What are some of the things that they're facing? And who are these characters? Who's Who's the main character? Who are some of these? you know supporting cast of this novel and and one of the important aspects that she's supposed to look at as she looks at this novel is just that she's supposed to examine the characters she's supposed to see what it is that motivates them what kind of questions they're asking what, what challenges are some of these characters facing and then the other things that she's supposed to do, she's supposed to look at the context and the setting of the story. And often, the context and the setting of the story drives the characters and the questions that they're asking and the challenges that they're seeking. So who are the main characters? What challenges do they face? What's the context of the story? And, and ultimately, why does any of that matter? Now, the reason I tell you that is for a couple of reasons. Uh, the question that Emily is asking about in A Wrinkle in Time 
as she thinks about things like you know what who who's the character here you know what's the focus of the story what's the context and the setting of this story how does that drive what we're supposed to learn in the story the questions that emily is asking about a wrinkle in time are the same questions that we should be asking when we're studying and learning from the bible the bible is a literary book I didn't say a literal book. We've talked about that. It's a literary book full of all kind of genres of poems and stories and parable and letters. And it's so important as we look at those texts to say, okay, so who is this being written to? Who is writing this? Why are they writing this? What kind of challenges are the people facing who are writing it or receiving it? Who, who is the, if it's a story, who are the characters and, and what, why are they writing about these specific characters? And probably most important to that then is what is the what is the genre of this and what is the context and the setting of this story or this passage. And when we do that, it really helps us to begin to understand a story at a different level. It's, it helps us to take this cube that I always think about with a story, that when we look at a passage, we're always thinking about that cube, and we're careful to understand that it fits very carefully, almost like a Jenga puzzle. It fits together very carefully with all the other pieces. It's in context, in tension. It, it, it's, it's built together within that context, and so when you take that story out, you have to be really careful with that story, recognizing how it fits into all the other pieces, and then looking at that story carefully and saying, okay, so... So who are the characters of the story and what is this about? How does this inform what we learn from that passage? And we can take that, that story and we can begin to look at it in all of these different ways and we can begin to learn and, and grow from it in, in, in several different ways and it's so helpful for us. So all of these questions then are, are helpful as we come to this next passage as we continue this Love Your Neighbor series. This story that we find, we're going to look at John chapter 6. It's a story that our kids are looking at in K through 6th grade today. So if you watch those videos with them, you'll see the same story told there. And uh, they may look at it a little different way, but we're going to come to some of the same conclusions because the context and the setting and the characters matter. So with all that in mind, let's read together John chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 1. I'm going to go through 6. Then I'm going to talk a little bit about it, and then we're going to continue the story. But here's how this starts out. It says this, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he is going to do. Now, in today's story, as we look at this, I, I kind of want to peel back some layers on how I put together a sermon what's happening as I'm reflecting on these stories. And why do I look at characters and context and setting and all of that? And what does it have to teach us? And so as we're going through this, you're just going to see some of the questions that I've been asking about this passage and how that develops and how that helps us lead to the end of the sermon. Now look at this first. The first thing that we see here is this. The writer of this gospel, the gospel of John, tells us that Jesus, the main character of the story, 
knew what he wanted to do here. Now the key to understanding this, like an analysis, is found as he sets the context in the setting. So he says this, so look back at it, he says, uh, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And then you see, he asked this only to test Philip. Look at this, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And this is so important and so critical because the context and the setting that we see here is found in verse 4. It's kind of a throwaway verse if we're not careful. It's one of those verses, again, that I talked about, that as you pull the Jenga piece out, as you look at the story, you want to see, well, how is this connected to all of these other stories? And sometimes you'll find a verse like this, and rather than just skip through the verse, you want to say, okay, so this verse must have prominence and importance, because it feels like it's just kind of just stuck in there, but it's stuck in there on purpose. It's meant to grab your attention. In verse 4, he says, the Jewish Passover festival was near. So now we have the context. We have the setting, the context that Jesus is on a mountain. And we have this time period, the Jewish Passover festival was near. So why does John tell us this? Well, John tells us this for a couple different reasons. He wants us to connect this story. He doesn't want us to see this story in isolation. John is saying, don't miss this. See the context. See what's happening here. See that this story that we're telling right now is connecting back to the Passover, to the Jewish festival. It connects back to a greater story that we look back in Scripture to the story of Exodus of the Israelites as God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. Now, Here's some notes for us to take, for us to begin to see about that story. Where does that take us back to, and how does that connect? In that story, God had miraculously provided bread and water for the people as they struggled to survive their long journey through the desert. And if you remember, several, several weeks ago, we talked about that story uh, together in our, in our teaching time. So this is so critical for us. He says, now look, I want you to look back to that story. I want you to think about the Exodus story. And now we're going to see that there's in that bigger story, there's a smaller reality of God providing bread and water for the people. Which drives the question then that Jesus asks. He looks at Philip. He says, where are we going to buy bread for these people to eat? Well, how are we going to provide for them? And he asked this only to test him. Now, would Philip make the connection? Would Philip see what's going on here? And then it said he already had in mind what he was going to do. Now, if we look at this story, John chapter 6, we see that bigger context happening there, drawing back to the story of the Exodus. We see John chapter 6 and then how it connects with these chapters before and then after we see something important for John. The writer of this gospel often uses the phrase that Jesus was the bread from heaven. He talks about this. He says, I am the bread. I am the bread of heaven. I am the bread of life. He's the true source that brings life and sustains us. And this is important reality for John. So now you're starting to see how all these pieces are coming together in the story. But there is an aspect of this story that is critical for us to see as we seek to understand it. So the story doesn't just end here. He, do, he doesn't just say, okay, so that's it. I wanted you to connect back. I wanted you to see how God provided. You know, we, we, we're going to see that Jesus is going to provide, but there's something even deeper going on, something critical for us that we're going to find here. 
We find this in this interaction that takes place in verses 5 and 6. John begins to introduce these additional characters, and he introduces this disciple named Philip. And his interaction with Jesus reveals the next lesson that we're going to learn in our Love Your Neighbor series that we're going to learn today. Look back again. Now, go, let's go back to 5 and 6. It says this, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to him, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked us only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Now, as we see in Jesus here, I want you to see this, that God knows what he wants to do in this world. Jesus knew what he wanted to do in this moment. Jesus knew what he wanted to do in this world. God knows what he wants to do in this world. And in fact, we we know this because Jesus invites us to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're to pray that what God wants done would be done. And we're to pray that his will, what he wants done on this earth, would be done on this earth. And then here's the cool part. Jesus invites us to participate in that. To be ambassadors of his love and his mercy, his grace in this world. To be a part of what God wants done in this world. Now we find this prayer, it's, it's a prayer that's in the book of Matthew, and it's a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, a prayer that you may be familiar with it. But let's take a little closer glance at it today. Matthew 6, starting verse 9, this is what it says. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So again, let's analyze that. Let's look at what's going on here. So first, Jesus invites us to pray. To pray for God's will to be done. Then he tells us to pray for our daily bread, the provision, the sustenance, the life found through Jesus. Then the prayer shifts. And then the prayer shifts to a focus on others. What he has given to us, we extend to others. The sustenance, the life, the grace, the mercy, the love that we find in this metaphor of bread. We say, may that be given to us. Provide for us. And he says, now I want you to extend that to others. Now the language here is given as debts. But what is wrapped up in that is mercy and grace and love. We don't hold on to what God has given us. We give it away to others. I wrote in my notes here that Jesus is teaching us to see the bigger picture of radical generosity of love for our world. Now, let's go back to the passage in John, to Jesus' test of Philip. He looked at this crowd and he asked Philip, where would the food come for all these people? Does Philip have faith that God will provide? Not just for Philip, not just for the disciples, 
but for all of these people too. Will God do what he did in the past? Will God do what he promised? Will he do the things that he wants to do? Will will Philip see that? Now listen to Philip's answer. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And we see in this moment just, just so much honesty. This, this is what I love when we look at the scriptures together. This is what I love about the stories of the disciples. Because they tell on themselves all the time. They, they don't put themselves up as somehow that they've got it all figured out, that they have it perfect, that they always trust, that they always believe, that they know all the stories, that they've got all their stuff together. Sometimes they question Sometimes they lack the faith. Sometimes they don't see how the big pieces all fit together. And I think this is so true for so many of us. And it's a reminder. It's okay to be figuring it out. It's okay to not have it all together. It's okay to still be learning. In fact, we should have a posture of learning. And I love the humbleness that as they tell this story, they just tell on each other. Hey, so here, here's what Philip said. Here's, here's what he did. So what do we learn from that? I think we learned something here that so many of us struggle with in our own lives. See, it's so easy in the face of the impossible. It's so easy when things are overwhelming. Honestly, it's so easy when things are inconvenient to just give up. In those moments, it's easy to walk away. In those moments, it's easy to pass the buck to someone else. I said this in my notes. I said in the face of overwhelming odds, it's easy to say, you know what? Somebody else should just do something about this. When we began Southeast, I remember one night I looked at Jill. And this is, this is you know, like 10 years ago. And I've thought about this story a lot over the past you know, couple of months, honestly, that we're sitting together and, and, and I remember that as I thought about, you know, what are we doing and what are we dreaming about and what do things look like, I remember saying things like, you know, someone should start a church. Someone should start a church for people who I knew who had given up on church. So Someone ought to start a church like that. And I remember that I felt like in that moment that God said, okay, go and do it. Like, I remember these times of just kind of thinking to myself, like, hey, you know, th- this would be a great thing. And I was like, okay, then you go and do it. And how often does that happen to us? And how often should that happen to us? That we, you know, somebody should do something about that. And I'm not telling you that you need to sit around and wait for the voice of God because often in those moments when we say something like that, we already know what's speaking up within our hearts is the conviction and the knowledge to know that, yeah, I should probably go and do something about that. So I remember saying that. I remember saying, you know, somebody should go and start a church like that. Okay, go and do it. And 10 10 years later, here we are. Now, here's what I didn't know. I never had imagined. I never could have imagined. None of us could have imagined that we'd be here now in the middle of a pandemic realizing what God had called us to do back then is just as relevant today. Now, there's something here that's easy to miss. 
And I wonder sometimes if this is what we tend to do. And I wonder if this is why it's so easy to give up when we're faced with odds that seem too big. I wonder if this is why when we ask a question, we say, hey, somebody should do something about that. I wonder who could do something about that. And we, we feel within ourselves, yeah, I should probably do something about that. I wonder if this is why we tend to give up, because we miss this. The fact is, we don't do anything on our own. Everything that God calls us to do, he's already in the middle of doing. Everything that God calls us to do, we're joining God there. It's his invitation to us to join him. The kingdom of God is where God is getting done what he wants done. And when we pray for God's will to be done on earth, we're asking that we would see where God is at work and that we would meet him there. And if we do that, God will take what we bring, our time, our resources, our giftedness, our passions, and he'll take those and he'll do the impossible with those things in and through us. It's amazing to see. It's incredible to see. As I told you when we started this church, I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew a question that was in my heart, a passion in my heart. People had given up on church. And I said, man, I don't think people have given up on Jesus. I think people have given up on church. And as I sit here today, I look around and I say, man, this is more relevant now than ever before. Because I think I know more people now who have given up on the idea of church because what church seems to have become sometimes looks nothing like who Jesus is. And it breaks my heart because I love Jesus. And I love his church. And it's not my job to rescue Jesus from that. But it is my job to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And we proclaim the actual good news of Jesus, we silence all that garbage that looks nothing like Jesus. But I know that I can't do that on my own. I know that I can't just do it with my own power. I know that I can't do it out of my own gift because I couldn't do it back then. I needed Him, His strength. I needed His working in my life. And then all of a sudden, at the same time, other people began to feel that call, to begin to understand what that looked like, begin excited about that same dream. In 10 years, we sit here today, and I've had those same conversations over and over again with so many of you that you say, that's exactly what I feel God speaking to my heart today. And I just want to tell you that I hope you are as excited as I am about the future. Yes, there's trepidation. And yes, there's worry. And yes, there's uncertainty. But guys, I believe in my heart there is nothing, there's nothing that we can't do through the power of Jesus when we believe together that we're going to share the good news, and I mean the real good news. God will take everything that we bring and do the impossible with it.
John 6, 8 through 9, it says, Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Now look what's happening. See the connection here. The story reminds us we have everything that we need to make a difference in the lives of the people around us. We just have to be aware of people's needs. We have to be aware of the questions that are being asked. We have to be willing to give up and use the things that we have to make a difference. And one of the most important things that we need is to recognize that we need Jesus and we need the compassion that Jesus had. Listen to Mark 6:34. It's another version of this story. It starts out like this. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. Listen to what he says. He had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. Again, when we started this church, I didn't say, hey, I want to start a church because that seems like a really fun thing to do. In fact, it was a crazy idea. Hey, I want to move my family to an area where I know a few people, but I'm going to say, hey, you know what we need? Let's start a church. That seems like a crazy, crazy idea. But the thing that drove me, the thing that still drives me is compassion for the people around us. And I want Jesus to multiply that compassion in my heart. In the first week of the series, we learned that Jesus declared his, his mission was to bring good news to all people. And the people to whom Jesus first told this were unprepared, unwilling to listen. The problem was that their compassion was only big enough, and hear me on this, their compassion was only big enough for people who looked like them, who talked like them, who lived like them. Last week, in the second week, we again found Jesus in a moment sharing the experience of new life found in him, knew no boundary based on gender, geography, ethnicity, or any other limit that we want to place on his grace and his mercy. I said this last week, and I'll say it again. We saw that Jesus will never justify a limited view of his love and grace, but will always challenge us to see the most expansive view of his love as he shatters our preconceived notions, our ideologies, and our prejudices. To say we love our neighbor means to bring life and good news to everyone. So see how the story ends. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them, and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. What sign? There's two. There's two signs here that I began to see that this is why the context, again, matters so much. The first sign is obvious. He took five loaves and two uh, pieces of bread. Or, um, did I just say that wrong? He took the five barley loaves, yes, and he, and he multiplied that, right? He multiplied those things, and that's the first thing we see. That's the first miracle we see, that he takes these small things, five barley loaves, two small fish that this little boy brings. He multiplies it, and he feeds 5,000. That is absolutely a huge miracle. But they say after the people saw the sign, Jesus performed it. There's something else going on here, and I think there is. And this is so cool. Let's go back to the context. Remember, this is connecting back to the story of Exodus. In the story of Exodus, when they were given bread 
provided by God, they were only given enough for one day. And if you remember in Jesus's prayer, we're to pray for our daily bread. Yet look at this story. In this detail, we find that there was more than enough bread after everyone had had enough. There was more bread to be given away. There was more bread to share. I have no idea what they did with it and how awesome it must have been for people had received a miracle to now share this with others. Here's the takeaway. God's will is that his love, his mercy, and his grace would be shared with this world. Yet guys, sometimes we hold on to his grace like there's not enough of it to go around. So we begin to create parameters. We begin to create barriers. We begin to place judgments on who is deserving of his love and his grace. So let me ask you this question. What if instead? What if instead we lived with a love for our neighbors where everyone was worth of his grace and mercy? And what if we believed that even after that, there would be more than enough? The little boy brought five loaves and two fish. And Jesus kept multiplying it until it was more than enough for everybody. What if we saw our love and compassion for the world in the same way? What if we asked God to multiply our love and our compassion for our neighbors? Do you hear that question? Let me say that again. Let me show you how all this is connected. What if we ask God to multiply our love and our compassion for our neighbors and we knew that even after that, there would be more than enough? And I want to tell you that that is a dangerous prayer and the exact kind of prayer that we should be praying because it pushes us, it challenges us, it forces us to see things in a new way. That kind of prayer is the kind of prayer we should be praying because that prayer is how we learn to love God, love others, bring life to our community, bring life to our city, bring life to our world, bring life to our neighbors. Imagine praying a prayer like that. Jesus, I see the kind of compassion that you have for others. And that compassion brings the grace and the love and mercy of God to all people, including me and including you. And then Jesus looks at us and says, now I want you to share that love and compassion with this world. And he even says there is more than enough for you and for everyone else. Yet there is something within us. There is something within us that says, hey, maybe there's not enough. Maybe I need to hold on to this a little tighter. Jesus looks at us and says, man, could you be further from missing the point? We end up just like Philip and we say, how can there be enough for all these people? And he says, there is more than enough. And we find that there is more than enough when we pray for compassion, when we pray to look like Jesus, and when we begin to give his grace and his love and mercy away. And in those moments, we find there is more than enough. And then we begin to extend that and extend it and extend it. 
And we see that it never ends. It never stops. It's truly a miracle. And it's the way that God works in our hearts and how he invites us to participate in his story. Now today we're going to close. We're going to reflect together on God's love, grace, and mercy revealed for the cross. And we're going to do that in a time of communion together. And remember what I said, and I wrote this down here, that this is God's table. And we are all invited. We don't decide who comes to his table because it is not our table. May we see that same reality and invitation in how we love others. We come to this table because of his love given to us. And it is for us to share it with the world. Now, as we take these elements, I want to remind you that it is not the elements are important. Whatever you have, his grace, his love, and his mercy is there. So I'm going to take this bread that I have, and I'm going to take this juice that I have, and I'm going to invite you to do the same. And as we reflect on this, we're reminded his love and his grace and his mercy given to us. And may we share this with the world. May we see that there's more than enough. With his 12 disciples gathered, Jesus took bread. He gave thanks and he broke it. Saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's pray together. Father, through the story that we looked at today, through the incredible context that we see in Scripture, through what we learn and what we take from it, where we see how it connects to our lives today, to these elements that we took in this moment here, may we see your love and your grace and your mercy extended to us and when you ask, what will we do for all these people? May we be filled with your compassion. May we say, there's more than enough. And may we ask, what can we do? How can we participate? in God's kingdom, and how we may we share his love, his grace, and his mercy with this world. It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, that we pray today. Amen.